You're listening to a Broadmoor Podcast production. In today's message, Pastor Josh Brady begins a series through the book of Philippians. He's preaching from chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 as we kick things off. We pray that God would speak to us and shape us as we hear from his word today. Well, good morning, church. How are we? I am so happy that you are here today. Lawrence family, thank you so much for, for that word. And thank you for that amen. Great job. Your stage debut was fantastic. Wonderful job. Um, as we get started today, if you have your copy of God's word, would you open to Philippians chapter 1? Philippians 1 is going to be our text for today. But as you will soon find out, we will spend a majority of our time in a different text. But more to that in just a second. We can't go one more second without acknowledging Thomas Lister. Thomas Lister came and brought God's word last week because he is absolutely loves the center of attention. That's not true. He's right there. Can we give Thomas a hand clap of appreciation this morning? Brother, thank you for delivering God's word to us last week. You did a beautiful, beautiful job. I am thankful for this church. I'm thankful that we celebrate the word being preached. And not only that, that we take that preached word, we apply it to our lives, and we live it out every single day. Speaking of living out God's word, I have a couple of announcements I want to give to you that I think are so vitally important to our church that they're going to take up some time in the sermon, okay? First is this, Community Fest is coming up on September 24th. That's not next Sunday, but the next Sunday, okay? This is when we leave this campus for a whole entire Sunday and we go into our community and we have three unique but united events that are going to happen at Liberty Park. We are going to have a church service um, really, really back where we had it last year. If you came to, to Community Fest last year, it's right there at Liberty Park. We are going to be there at 9.30 on the 24th, okay? So I want you to go ahead and mark that down. We're not going to be on this campus on September 24th. We are going to be at Liberty Park for our our church at the park, okay? So that is going to happen at 930, same time. But if I could encourage you, go ahead and plan for it and go ahead and plan to get there early. I know, I know, look, we we got child care going around. I know how our Broadmoor folks come in just kind of right on time for the sermon. You want to be there a whole hour before the sermon starts, okay? So, so between 8.30 and 9 is when you want to plan to get to Liberty Park on the 24th, all right? Not only that, after that, we're having dinner on the grounds. We're having lunch together, uh, and that's going to happen at 11 o'clock at Liberty Park. We'd love for you to join us on that day, um, but we need to know that you are coming, okay? So we need you to register so we can figure out how much food that we need to prepare for everyone who is going to be there. And then finally... Our fun fest that's typically on our campus will be at Liberty Park on that day. So we have community fest that is going to have those three unique events, yet they are all united as one. Church in the park, dinner on the grounds, and fun fest all happening at Liberty Park on September 24th. Is everybody clear? Don't come to this campus on September 24th. Fantastic. If you do, there's going to be signs up and you're going to say, I wish somebody told me. I'm telling you now, September 24th, don't come here. Go to Liberty Park. It's going to be great. But as you can imagine... We need your help pulling off such an event like this. So here's two ways that you can tell us how you want to help. Uh, There's a QR code that's going to pop up on the screen that's going to take you to the Connect Center, uh, or you can go to broadmoor.org forward slash connect, uh, and in that, you can go and sign up for this, this community fest that is coming up, okay? So we need you to sign up. Scan the QR code, either way you want to do it. You can do that as an individual, or you can do that as a life group. Life groups, we would love for you all to buy into this ministry, because I believe it is just that. So just quickly, 
on any given Sunday, recently, we've been averaging anywhere between 1,700 and 2,100 people in this room for one service, okay? When we do church at the park, when we do community fest, generally we're going to have three to 4,000 people come and join us. That means there are going to be people who aren't going to, to come to this campus that say, you know what, I'd love to come to the park. If you would, go ahead and sign up as a life group. Go ahead and sign up as individuals and say, I want to leverage my life on that day to advance the gospel in any way that I can. We would love for you to join us on that day. September 24th. I said it like 10 times. We're not here. Great. Okay. Next announcement. It is church council nomination season. Through the month of September, September 24th, on that day, our church council nominations will wrap up. And so what we would love for you to do uh, is, again, you can go to broadmoor.org forward slash connect. You can go to that QR code that was just up there. You can click the link, church council nominations. And when you click that link, you're going to come to a page. And the first half of the page is the, the qualifications of church council members, men and women who you believe have shown that they are, number one, born again, that they are filled with the Spirit, and that they would make a good board of directors members for our church, okay? So we would love for you to consider who you would nominate. You can nominate more than one, um, but we would ask that you would prayerfully consider who you would nominate for the position of church council member, okay? All of that being said, I'd love to spend some time praying this morning for those two specific things. We're going to pray for Community Fest, and we're going to pray specifically for No Rain and 65 degrees. Can we do it? Can we do it? The Lord hears. We have not because we ask not. We're about to ask, okay? And so we are asking also that God would give us wisdom and boldness to nominate church council members that he has deemed fit for us, okay? So if we would, let us pray together. Oh, Father, we do love you and we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of church. The fact that you have established a body to be together, meaning that we never have to walk alone. God, you have mobilized us not to just sit in our holy huddles, but to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. And God, you have given us a beautiful community to do that in, a community in which we understand is more lost than saved. And Lord, we are not going to the ends of the earth, but we understand that the nations are here in Madison. And so, Lord, we ask that you give us favor on September 24th. God, we ask that you would put it on people's hearts to come and be a part of church, Come be a part of lunch. Come be a part of the, the fun fest that's going to happen that afternoon. But God, I pray that you would soften their hearts, God, that you would allow them to be ready to hear the gospel and respond to it for salvation. God, we pray for 65-degree weather. We pray for no rain. But God, more than anything, we pray that you would receive all glory and honor and praise. God, we also pray for church council nominations. We thank you for uh, the gift that is these men and women who will serve and are serving and have served. God, we ask that you would continue to illuminate our path forward. Oh, Jesus, we love you, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, church family, we are kicking off a new sermon series today in the book of Philippians. So if you have not already gone there, Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 is where we're going to be today. This is one of my favorite books of the Bible. But as you can imagine, every time that I preach, I tell you it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. It truly is, and, and here's why. There's a lot about Philippians that you probably know and love. It is one of the most quotable quoted books. Uh, it has a lot of life verses attached to it. Uh, but, but one of the things that this book is known by to, to philosophers and just everyday Bible readers is this is the happy book. 
This, this, uh, among all of Paul's letters to any of the churches that he writes to, this is his most joy-filled letter. And, And to say, as you read it, you would think, man, Paul must be in a great mood as he's writing this. Life must be fantastic for him as he pens these words and encourages these brothers and sisters. But as you'll see shortly, it's not the case. But his joy is no less profound and on display. So as we look to this, we, we want to see just a, a couple of things, okay? This is not just a letter of generalized encouragement or just general happiness and joy. This is very strategic. It is specifically to encourage the church that he planted 10 years earlier, a church that he loves dearly. And he wants to encourage them to remember and live in the joy that Christ had won for them. Now, this morning, as we start in the first two verses, if you have your Following Jesus Bible for the kids in the room, you're on page 1274, 1274. And Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2 say this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I think to the casual reader, this may sound like a pretty typical greeting, particularly of Paul's letters, but it's far from typical. Understanding the context surrounding this intro and this letter will give us such a better understanding and appreciation for this letter. So let's get the context, okay? The date of this letter, the best we can understand, is around 62 A.D., okay? So so what we have here, Paul is in Rome, and he has been in Rome for about two years, But at the time of this writing, he is in a Roman jail cell for for his faith. And in the isolation of prison, evidently he has a lot of time to think. And with that, he thinks back on his life. And at this point, in 62 AD, he is almost 30 years following Christ. Almost 30 years since his Damascus Road experience. And now he thinks back on all of that and he begins to... consider all the churches that he's been a part of, all the missionary adventures that he's experienced, all the things that, that, that he has seen God do and, and the way in which God's people has responded to him and, and responded to those that were around him. And in this moment, joy floods over his mind as he sits in this cold, dark jail cell. But before we move into this letter, I want you to understand the location And I want you to get to know the first converts and the members of the Philippian church because it's going to be important for when Paul writes greetings to you, when when, when Paul says to them, grace and peace, these are the people, the first people he's going to have in his mind. But let's start with the location, all right? So this is going to be a lot of fun. Are you ready for it? You didn't think you were ever going to use this. Take your ribbon, if you have a paper Bible, take your ribbon and put it there, and I want you to turn to maps. What? Maps. Get out of here. You never even knew that they were even there. Go all the way to the back of your Bible. Go to maps. And I want you to go to Paul's second missionary journey. We have one on the screen. Should your Bible not have one? Or maybe you're you're working from a device today, okay? So if you're looking at this, uh, I know it may be hard for you to read the key at the bottom left. But what you're going to notice is the purple arrow. That's what I want to draw your attention to. That's Paul's second missionary journey. That's what we're define the the creation or the inception of the church at Philippi or the Philippian church, okay? So as he starts, you're going to see uh, in kind of Syria over here to the right, kind of the northwestern portion, that's a place called Antioch. 
That was Paul's starting place, okay? So Paul is leaving Antioch, and as we, we move here, he makes a beeline for Asia. So as you see the, the kind of salmon color right up there, and you see the word Asia, he's making a beeline for there, and as he gets close, the Lord gives him a command that's kind of strange to him and probably strange to us. He says, don't go into Asia. Matter of fact, what Acts tells us, Luke records this in Acts, he says, the Lord forbid Paul to go into Asia. So he went around it to the north. So so you see him get to Antioch, and he kind of travels northwest, and then goes due west, and then he comes down to a place called Troas, okay? So as as we get there, he comes to this, this port city, and there he begins to pray because he can't go into Asia. He is now at the Mediterranean Sea, and he is trying to figure out what do we do from here. So he begins to pray. And so the account in Acts tells us that as he is praying at night, God gives him a vision and a dream. And in that vision, he sees a man standing on the coast of Macedonia. That's the very top left country that you're going to see located up there. Modern day Greece, if you will, okay? So here's a man in this vision standing on the coast, and he is yelling at the Apostle Paul saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And the Bible says immediately the Apostle Paul awakens, and essentially he tells the boys, Pack your bags, we're going to Macedonia. And so from there, he travels all the way, and he lands at a place called Philippi. But let me, let me show you how the scriptures unfold this, all right? So if you would, again, if you're, in, if you're in maps now, go all the way back to Philippians, and then keep going just a little bit further to Acts chapter 16. Acts 16 is where we're going to be today, because this is truly going to help us understand where this church was born from. It's going to help us understand the people who make up the church. And my hope is that as we understand it, we will see the beauty that God designs his church to be. I pray if it is different than what you view it as, that we would understand scripture always trumps what we think. And so with that, let's jump in Acts chapter 16, verse 11 and following. If you're in your following Jesus Bible, kids, this is page 1,190, 1,190. Verse 11 says this, so setting sail from Troas, he made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the leading city in the district of Macedonia, which is a, what kind of colony? Roman colony. That is going to be vitally important in just a moment. We remained in this city for some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside where we, were, where we supposed that there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and we spoke to the, to the women who had come there. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me, be be faithful to the Lord and come to my house and stay. And she prevailed over us. So so in, in this section of Acts chapter 16, we meet the very first convert to the church at Philippi and the very first convert to the to the continent. As, as we see, this is the very, very first uh, convert to, to Europe. And we know from this text a few things about her. Number one, she was a seller of purple goods. Purple anything was very rare and hard to come by. 
So this description that, that, that we see in Acts 16, remember Luke, the doctor, writes Acts. He, he pens it, and, and he's very meticulous, not only in his own gospel, but also in, in this letter, because what, what he is doing, he's trying to, to help the reader understand the intricacies of what God is doing. This isn't just things happening by happenstance, that God is sovereignly bringing people in each other's paths for his glory and their good. So what we see here is she is a seller of purple goods. This description tells us that Lydia is extremely wealthy and a woman of means, meaning, meaning she, can, she can essentially get and have whatever she desires. It also tells us that she was religious. It says that she was a worshiper of God. But as we can understand, because she, Paul had not talked to her yet, she was not a follower of Christ. But God in his grace opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. And God saved her. She and her whole household was baptized. And her response to God's grace extended to her is she asked the men, which was at this moment in, in Acts 16, we have Paul, we have Silas, and we have Timothy, to come into her house and to stay with her. Lydia's house was the first meeting place of the Philippian church. Lydia bankrolled the ministry of the gospel in the church at Philippi. So whenever you read this letter, no doubt the very first person that would have come into the Apostle Paul's mind would be this woman named Lydia. Who, and, it, and it was by God's grace. Remember, it was, it was a man who stood on the shore of Macedonia saying, come and help us. They get there, and then they are walking on the side saying, well, we think maybe somebody should be praying here, maybe. Just, just imagine how crazy this sounds. They're just walking on the riverside just trying to see, is, is somebody going to be here? We think God's leading us here. And all of a sudden, there's a Bible study of women. They're, they're just hanging out there. They're, 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 they're talking about God. They're, they're praying to God. But they're not believers in Christ yet because nobody has told them the gospel. And so Paul then begins to tell them. And there's, don't, don't miss this. The reason Lydia heard is because God allowed her to. God allowed her to hear the gospel. God allowed her to pay attention to what the Apostle Paul was saying. And she believed and was baptized. And not just her, but in her entire household. This is a beautiful thing. And her response to the gospel was, take everything that I have and I am and leverage it for the gospel. Paul, I want you and everybody, your whole team, come to my house, stay with me. It wasn't just a visit for a day. Stay here, let the church meet here. I'm gonna pay for all of the ministry that you are going to be calling, uh, that you were called to do. So, so that, that seems great. So, so far, one for one, church membership is going well and it's exciting because there, there's a very wealthy person in the mix. I want to point your attention to the second convert to Christianity in Europe. The second convert to Christianity in Philippi. Look at Acts 16, verse 16 and following. As we were going to the place of prayer, so they went back to that place, and they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination. And she brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul. And us, crying out, these men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out of her that very hour. All right, so, so again, sometimes we read the Bible and we kind of gloss over, all right, this is what's happening. 
So, so we have a convert, we have Lydia, her whole household that's there. And then, then we have this slave girl who is evidently following them around. And understand, the slave girl is demon-possessed. But she has some handlers who are making a lot of money off of her. And those, those handlers are using her because it's very real. It's, it's demonic possession. And evidently, there's a giftedness in this demonic possession that is being used to fortune tell. And people are paying good money to have their fortunes told by this demon-possessed girl. But all of a sudden, this demon-possessed girl has a fixation on the Apostle Paul and his crew. And as they walk through the streets of Philippi, this girl is following them around and continues to yell out, they're telling you the salvation that's coming your way. You would think that would be a good thing, right? But Paul, and I love it, it wasn't like Paul was scared. They didn't call Ghostbusters because they didn't know what to do. Paul got annoyed at the demon. And he turns and he says, I tell you in the name of Jesus Christ, come out of this girl. And immediately the demon leaves the girl. That should be cause for great celebration. Verse 19. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, no more demon, no more fortune telling, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before their rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, these men are Jews. They were disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in and attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off of them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safe. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. The second member, the, the second prominent member of the Philippian church was a former demon-possessed girl. But her miraculous healing got Paul and Silas thrown into prison. I mean, it's got, got to be a strange deal, right? So, so you're going to this new land, you're being faithfully obedient to God's call on your life, and, and, and truly, like, like you're, you're, you started in Antioch. And you have gone many, many, many miles, and you get to the edge of this, this, this ocean, and you pray, and God gives you a vision. You think, God is going to, to roll out the red carpet for us. Yes, this is going to be fantastic. They get there, and all of a sudden, they meet this group of ladies holding a Bible study, and then there's this miraculous conversion for this lady and her whole household. And Paul's got to be thinking, God, glory to your name, this is good. Then all of a sudden, this demon-possessed girl follows them around, and, and, and Paul casts out the demon. And all of a sudden, they find themselves, for being obedient and calling on the name of God to, to dispel this demon from a girl's body, they found themselves beaten badly, thrown into prison. But not only thrown into prison, what it says is the jailer was taking such careful uh, consideration to, to their imprisonment that they put them in the most inner cell and locked their feet in stocks. They're not going anywhere. They might as well be forgotten. But this is where we meet our third prominent convert to the church at Philippi. Acts 16, verse 25 and following. At about midnight, this will be in the jail cell, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all of the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. And when the jailer woke, he saw that the prison doors were open, and he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. Now I want to pause there in verse 27 before we get to 28 and tell you why. 
for his punishment he knew was going to be incredibly harsh. They were going to kill him if any of those prisoners got away, particularly Paul and Silas. That's why he put them in the center of the jail and locked them down. But as this jailer wakes up from the earthquake, he looks around and realizes, oh no, everybody is gone. All the doors are open. And so he draws his sword to end his life for all he had in front of him was doom. Verse 28, but Paul cries out with a loud voice, do not harm yourself for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke to the word of the Lord to him and to all those who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all of his family. Then he brought them up into the house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that he believed in God. That's a beautiful day for this third convert into, or or prominent convert into the Philippian church. So, so far, we've had this this rich lady named Lydia, we've had this former demon-possessed girl, and now we have this jailer who was about to end his life, but all of a sudden, God showed him a new way. And so, from from here, we see a celebration at a table, but I want to be clear. (laughs) Paul and Silas are still in jail. They've not gotten out of jail yet. The jailer just saw, remember, they're, they're singing hymns and songs and spiritual songs. They are hearing the gospel sung. So all the prisoners heard it. The jailer is hearing it as they're singing this. And then all of a sudden the earthquake comes. And now this jailer is responding to what he's heard. So he runs in and says, what do I have to do to be saved? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus and be saved, you and your household. Trust Christ and he will give you a new life. All right, so that that seems like good news, right? Verse 35. But when it was daytime, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, magistrates have said, let you go. Therefore, come out now. Go in peace. Go, Paul. Verse 37. You would think Paul would go. Verse 37. You think wrongly. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned. Men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No. Let them come themselves and take us out. Paul's trying to pick a fight. What's wrong with him? Paul, go. You had a chance to go. The doors were open. Nope, you didn't go. You have a chance to go now. Paul says, "Uh -uh, I want to see the guys in charge. Bring them in. Verse 38. The police reported these words to the magistrates. And they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. You see, Philippi, although in Greece, was occupied by Rome. Everything about it, even though it's not in Rome, everything about this city is Roman. Its culture, its understanding, its government is all Roman. And so if you are a Roman citizen, like the Apostle Paul, you have a different set of rights. And so they are treating him as if he is not a citizen of Rome. They didn't know, they didn't ask. The fact that they treated him as an outsider, but he's actually an insider, they are now in trouble. That's why they're fearful. Police reported these words to the magistrates. When they came, they were afraid. When they heard that he was a Roman citizen, verse 39. So they came and apologized to them. And they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison, 
visited Lydia, and when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them, and they departed. This is when the Apostle Paul leaves Philippi. And for the next 10 years, he is going to be on different journeys. He is going to be in different cities, planning different churches. But 10 years later, he gets into Rome. And he finds himself in a jail cell, and he is trying to sort out what has happened over these last 10 years. And there's words that come to his mind that fill his heart time and time again. Go back to Philippians 1. These words are key. Philippians 1, verses 1 and 2. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, here are the words. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Two key words that are going to be prominent throughout this entire letter. Grace is God's unmerited favor. Grace is when we get something that we do not deserve. I know a lot of times we use the word grace and mercy as if they're interchangeable. They're not. They're not the same thing, although they're closely related. Grace is when we get something we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't get something that we do deserve. Okay, so just so we're clear on those two words, Paul leads out in this letter to the saints, to those who are born again of Christ. Grace. Grace to you. What's going to be really key in just a moment, and and really the 12 weeks that are going to follow, that word grace isn't going to be just a start of a letter. It is going to be a call to live. Not only are we happy to receive grace, not only are we happy to receive God's unmerited favor, but we should be happy to extend that grace to those that are around us. And not only is there grace, but there's peace. There's peace from God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, as we we get ready to, to wrap this up this morning, I'm going to help you better understand the current state over there because we, we looked at Acts 16. We, we looked at a decade ago of where they were. Now I want you to understand kind of where they are, where, where, where we understand this, even though they are Greek, they are, they're in Greece, right? So, so they, are, they are at the, the edge of the sea. Um, if you ever wanted to Google where, where modern-day Philippi is, you're going to come across a place called Kavala or Kavala Beach. I don't know if we'll ever go to Kavala Beach, but if y'all ever want to go and you want to take your preacher, I'll preach a sermon. It'll be great. That place is gorgeous. At least Google tells me it is. <laughs> but in this moment, it's a very Roman city. And if you remember, Roman culture isn't very Christian. It's not Christian-friendly. It's not gospel-centric. Matter of fact, if you wanted to go back, you can read Romans again, get an idea. But let me, let me, let me just remind you 
Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This would be the setting in Rome when Paul wrote to the church at Rome, but this would also be the setting to the church at Philippi. All right? So, so here, Romans, Romans 1, 18 through 25. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of man, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown them For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, can be clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. I don't know what Kavala Beach was called back then, but I know that beach existed. I know that when they looked around and they saw the beautiful mountainous landscape and they saw the beautiful seascape that was in front of them, there was no doubt that something of magnitude stood before them and they didn't quite know what to do with it. So they suppressed truth and they created their own. That's what it says. Verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to dishonoring their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed. Amen. Now, this, this is Paul's letter to the Romans, but it's the same setup for Philippians. This, this, is, this is the backdrop that Lydia, that the former demon-possessed girl, that the jailer would begin their life following Christ. This would be the culture they're submerged in. And, and if, if you were to go and you were to begin to read church growth, even church growth books today, they, they would teach you that you want to do everything that you can to, to set up the church for great success. I don't see that happening in Acts 16. What we see here is we see Paul walking by faith and not by sight, and everywhere he goes, he trusts God. If it is to the betterment of himself, as he meets Lydia, and she invites them into her house and bankrolls their whole ministry, or because he cast out a demon demon out of a, a possessed little girl, and he is now beaten and thrown in jail for it, he says, glory either way. Because when he found himself in jail, who did he find? The jailer. The jailer who was there who was going to end his own life. He was going to kill himself. But Paul, in that moment, speaks a better word over him. And in that moment, he breathes life into this jailer. And he is born again. What we are going to see as we look to this text, our worship team is going to come back up and we're, we're going to move towards a time of response. This letter is specifically filled with joy to encourage brothers and sisters in Philippi. It's not a warning, but more of a call to action. Paul is not warning them that these days are evil, therefore they need to hunker down. They need to go in hiding before, uh, so this will all blow over, and then when it's all blown over, they, they can come back out. That's not what he's saying. Instead, he's telling them, and this is what we're going to see is the theme of this letter, don't let your current state be an obstacle to your faith. 
See it as an opportunity for your faith. Because there's so many times that we still believe today that for us to be useful for God's ministry, to be useful for kingdom advancement, we think that our lives have to be put together. Let me be crystal clear. Nobody in this room has a life that's completely put together. Everybody in this room has fallen in some way. I don't know that because I've watched you. I know that because this book has told me. For all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. Every single one of us have done that. So hear me out. When we say we come to Christ and we want to to join arms together as a united family of faith, we're not saying that we want to do so perfectly as if we are perfect, because we're not. But what we are saying is, just as we are, absolutely broken, beyond our own repair, we come to Christ and we surrender it all. And from there, he picks up the pieces and he puts it back together exactly how he sees fit. Yes, the days here continue to grow darker day by day. What you're going to read, even when we get into chapter 2 of this great letter, Paul is going to, to make mention of that. And he's going to say, let your light shine so that those who are in darkness can see the beauty of Christ. But I'm telling you, this is not just encouragement for 2,000 years ago, church. This is encouragement for us today. Anybody in here broken? Anybody in here struggle? You here got, got shame and guilt that you, you can't shake and you don't know what to do with it. And so you come here and you put on a smile on your face and you act like everything's okay, but it's not okay. What I'm telling you is, come, come with that, come with that brokenness, all that you are, all that you have, and bring it and lay it at the cross of Christ and watch him do something beautiful. You may come here and you have all the addictions in the world. Your past may be littered with all kinds of things that you wish you could forget. But hear me out. Christ knows that about you and he still chooses you anyway. He calls you to come. To lay your life down. To trust his sovereign goodness. No doubt there would be many people who would read this account in Acts 16 and think, what a mess. This church is never going to make it. Those three people, those three predominant new new believers, how are they going to ever come together? Wealthy lady, former demon-possessed little girl, and a jailer. A pastor who was beaten, thrown in jail, and when he got out, he tried to pick a fight with the government. What a mess. But you know what? God can do a lot with a mess if you surrender it to him. Maybe, just maybe, you're sitting here today and you think, Josh... I am a mess. Maybe. But I think it's time for you to surrender that mess to Christ. Not when you get it cleaned up. Not when you put on a mask that in your opinion is good enough to keep people from seeing the real you. I think what you're going to see as we continue in Philippians You're going to see an incredibly authentic church light up the darkness like no other church has ever done. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with the Christ that they represent. I believe that is still our call as God's church today. It is simple. We come, 
we trust him and we obey what he's told us to do. Some days we're gonna meet people like Lydia and it's gonna be fun. We have everything we need. Some days it'll be like a demon-possessed girl following us around and we thought we did something good. But evidently, by the world's standards, we did not. And we'll have been beaten and thrown into jail. But it'll be in that jail cell that God uses us in the most mighty way that we've ever experienced. And as you're let out and you go back, you encourage those believers one more time and you continue on in faithfulness. We will trust and we will obey for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. Church, would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for this incredible book. Thank you for the Apostle Paul. Thank you for Silas. Thank you for Timothy. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for their recording of all the things that happened. Thank you for the preservation of this, that we may read it in truth today. But Lord, I pray for brothers and sisters across this room. They may find themselves resonating with one of those three original converts. All three followed Christ. And Lord, I pray that that is what we would do here. No matter who we are, where we are, where we come from, Lord, we would come and surrender it all. Holy Spirit, I ask that you move across this room. Draw men and women to yourself. Change us, shape us, and mold us, God, for your glory. As we get ready to take these tithes and offerings, God, I pray, God, that they would be honoring to you. God, that when we give, we give joyfully. For we understand the mission that you've called us to is bigger than us. And what you've trusted to us is useful for that. And so when we give today and every day, God, we give joyfully. So Lord, now in this response time, move in our hearts and in our midst. Jesus, we love you. It's in your name that we now pray and we now stand and respond. Church, would you stand with me?